Good evening. I want to extend my welcome to you. My name's Aubrey. I'm one of the pastors here at the Church of the Incarnation, and it's very good to be here with you tonight. I want to um, talk a little bit about the last couple of passages of Scripture that we've heard read. I want to start with the sixth reading, the reading that Sam Cook did, Luke chapter 2. And I want to draw your attention to where it starts, the context. Did you notice the setting for the very first Christmas? Listen again to the first sentence of Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, here in America, when a census comes around, we basically fill out a boring form and mail it off. It was not anything like that 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. A census at that time was an act of control. It was an instrument of subjugation. Caesar Augustus, the Roman Empire, the Roman emperor is flexing his muscles. And he's doing this with a decree that more or less the whole known world had to be counted, registered, and of course, as governments do, taxed. Why? Why would Caesar Augustus do this? Three reasons. First of all, he did this to keep the Roman war machine going. War is expensive. And so the age-old way of paying for war is for the victor to take the money from the loser. It's not invented after World War I. Second reason is to keep food on the table for the leaders in Rome. The city of Rome couldn't produce enough bread. So their subjugated people, this tax, it kept the leaders of Rome, it kept the people in Rome, it kept them in bread, and it kept Caesar and his friends in the lap of luxury. A third reason is to squash, to hold down, to subjugate the vassal kingdoms, to keep all of the countries Rome had conquered, to keep them in their place, to know how many there were and where they lived. A census was all about who runs the world, who gets the money, and who gets crushed in the process. So you can see why every known instance of a census in the Middle East during that time period resulted in revolt, bloodshed, riots, people getting killed. Four times in the first five verses of the story of the birth of Jesus, four times in Luke's account of Jesus' birth, he mentions the census. In fact, Luke devotes more space to the census than he does to the actual birth of Jesus. This isn't just background information for Luke. He's not just trying to spice up the story with a little local color. Clearly, this is critical to the message of the birth of Jesus, to the purpose of the birth of Jesus, to the truth of Christmas. We run the risk, you see, 
in the way our culture approaches Christmas, we run the risk of taking all the politics out of the manger. Of keeping Christmas and Christianity locked away from the real problems in the real world that we live in. But Luke's account of the birth of Jesus is about the, the church confronting the state. It is about the opposite of the separation of church and state. Remember what the angels tell the shepherds? Fear not. For behold, I bring you what? Does anybody remember? Good news. That phrase, good news. That's subversive political rhetoric. It's it's political speech. You see, for about six years prior to the birth of Jesus, Augustus had taken to calling himself the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who brings peace and hope. And get this exact same word. Those of you who know Greek, euangelion, Good news. This is written in inscriptions that archaeologists have discovered throughout the Roman Empire from that time period. So most of the titles that the angels give to Jesus in this passage and the things that they say he will accomplish, this is taken straight out of the newspapers. Right out of the political section. Right out of the stump speeches. The campaign promises of Caesar. So think about this. Luke is telling the story of Jesus' birth in a politically charged environment, in a politically charged way. Now you might be thinking, I didn't come here to hear this. If there's any place where we should be able to get away from politics, didn't Jefferson give us anything? I thought I came here for caroling and candlelighting. I expected to hear lovely things. That make me and my children feel good and go home together smiling. That's the trouble with how we've treated Christmas for so many years here in America. We've screened out the census, the emperor, the taxes, the politics. But Luke's account gives more attention to that than it does to the events around the birth of Jesus. He's trying to force you away from our sentimental dribble. His account of the birth of Jesus does not segregate Christianity, Jesus, away from real-world bipartisan politics. After all, did you forget about this young couple traveling 70 miles by foot late in pregnancy? This is a hardship laid on the shoulders of Mary and Joseph by an official decree. This is oppression from systems, right at the heart of the Christmas story. Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, but it was an armed peace. It was a vicious peace. This is, this is peace with the Roman foot planted squarely on the neck of the defeated enemies. It was a peace won on the battlefield with the cost of an enormous amount of bloodshed. This isn't real peace. This is, this is the peace of a desolate field. 
Nothing more than forced pacification through war. This is the kind of brutally enforced social quietude we find under tyrants in every century. The kind of peace that is built from terror and slavery and taxation. And that is a setting. You're supposed to think about that. You're supposed to think about those kinds of politics. Those kinds of situations. This is the setting, the context in which you can only understand correctly Jesus. Why does Luke do it this way? Why does he tell the story in this particular way? Why doesn't his story sound more like our Christmas carols? Silent, sweet, private, and beautiful, warm and fuzzy, without a drop of bipartisan political rhetoric. Why? Because Luke is showing us that Christianity is never about an escape from the real world of real politics and economics, of empires and taxes and bloodthirsty wars. It's about God addressing these problems from within, coming into our world, his world, and shouldering the burden of authority, coming to deal with the problem of evil and chaos and violence and oppression in all of its horrible concrete manifestations. Christmas, you see, Jesus' birth, is patently not an invitation into saccharine sweetness. It is not an invitation merely to a personal relationship with God in which somehow, through your mystic spiritual experiences, you can rise above the real problems we really are facing here in America right now. Christianity isn't about holding your breath for some escape pod. Jesus' birth, it is a summons to keep our eyes open for emperors and empires, the Augustus Caesars of our day, the systems that are really crushing real people in this city. The angels identify Jesus as Savior. The word, it literally means one who delivers people from their Actual, they're concrete, they're they're real enemies. When you keep reading in Luke's gospel, you see what it looks like for Jesus to deliver real people from real concrete enemies. Just one example. In our story, we've heard this evening, take the shepherds. Their reputation in that culture. The The fact that they spent a long time away from civilization, the way they tended to behave. As a result, by law, a shepherd was not allowed to be a witness at a trial in a court case. So don't you love the delicious irony here? That the first witnesses of God's great inbreaking into this world aren't allowed to be witnesses by this world. They're disqualified from serving as witnesses in legal cases in Jerusalem, but here we find them qualified to be the first witnesses to the gospel. Who are the shepherds in Harrisonburg? See, that's what we're supposed to do with this stuff. 
Can it be the undocumented citizens? Jesus' birth summons us to figure out how we can help the immigrants in this particular community in which we live, the documented and the undocumented citizens, because the entire storyline of the Bible tells us that God's people must always stand beside the immigrant. It's fundamental to the story. You take that out of the biblical story and you lose the whole thing. That God's people must care for and defend those who don't have citizenship. Jesus' birth summons us to figure out how we can help the immigrants in this community. It's also for the people who live on our streets and in our jails. And when you keep reading in Luke's gospel, it's for the poor. Jesus' birth is a summons for us. To recognize recognize those who've been lured into the trap of a spiraling and hopeless debt. The church has to step in where the banks will not. We have to figure this out. There are people in our church and throughout America that are being crushed by this. We have to actually find a way, and it's so complicated, but we have to. Jesus' birth is a summons to pray in love and devotion before the Christ child, like the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. And by doing that, we will learn to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And this will result in finding our eyes gradually being open to what the powers of the world are up to and our ears gradually being tuned to the particular song that particular angels are singing to each of us, particularly Rome's peace created a world of haves and have-nots. It was brutal. The peace that God brings through Jesus. The peace proclaimed by the heavenly host. God's peace. It reaches out to the shepherds. And to the poor. And to those whose social status gives them no voice. And no vote. And no recourse for justice. God's peace is beautiful. It's life-giving. And the cost of this peace as we keep reading through Luke's gospel is enormously high. The cost is borne by God alone through the death of his son. Listening just a few minutes ago to the reading from Genesis 22. Rob could hardly get through it. Did you notice his voice catches as he thinks of Abraham sacrificing his own son? And then there in Genesis 22 it says, the angel says, now I know that you trust me. But here... Here, from our perspective, we know that there was even more going on in that story than trying to put faith in God at the center of the the way of walking with God. We know that it was also giving us a shadowy glimpse that there would have to be such a sacrifice. But it would not be laid on us. God will complete the victory. Jesus Accomplished at the cross. And we can draw down on that victory and anticipate that great peace to come when we celebrate the human birth of God. That's what we're doing. 
We're celebrating the human birth of God, a God that is, that is astonishing beyond expression. And we reach out to those in our city who are lonely. And we reach out to them and we relieve their loneliness and we shine light in their darkness and we radiate the warmth of God's love to defrost the wintry existence that they daily experience. I invite you to worship the Christ child. And so learn to open your eyes to the empires and your ears to the angels and then go for it. Go for it. Get busy living for a king that has everything to do with politics. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I invite you to take just a moment. It might be the only chance you get over the next 24 hours to be quiet. And to pray and to ask God to help you find a way to see the empires and hear the angel songs and to go to work.